following is a production of Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia. We're the Philadelphia fans. So bring it in. It's time for another edition of 83 to Infinity. And you know what we talk about every week on 83 to Infinity. We talk about your Philadelphia 76ers. On Thursday, they demolished the Toronto Raptors. On Thursday, they demolished the Toronto Raptors. Now, if you are a fan of best in the world sports if you are a fan of brown and you are also a fan of my man jonesy jonesy will be here in a second you know that we also do a show called offense defense and discourse remember you can hear offense defense and discourse on free agent radio every friday morning at 7 a.m and then again at noon on seattlehiphopradio.com either dot com or dot net one of the two I can't remember because I don't have it in front of me. But nonetheless, when we did that show, we recorded that show uh, Wednesday night. When we did that show, I asked Mike, I asked my man Jonesy, I said, is Toronto in trouble? Now, this is Wednesday. Wednesday before the game, I asked Mike Jones, I say, Mike, is Toronto in trouble and, you know, he didn't want to, you know, he, he didn't want to come out. The, he, My man Mike is about objectivity. He's not for the fan-ish. That's me. But Mike likes to be objective. So he, I, he was calculated in his answer because he did not want to engage in what could be considered fan-ish. But I asked him, said, Mike, is Toronto in trouble? And with a very serious look, he was like, Brown? Yes. This was Wednesday. All right. This was Wednesday. Thursday, when the game starts, Philadelphia leads from start to finish. Toronto never had a chance. Joel Embiid, 33 points. That's the story of the game. He had his way. And Toronto looked every bit of in trouble as my man Mike Jones said they would be. So with that, let's talk about that game and let's talk about game six, which is Sunday afternoon. Let me bring in my partner in crime, ladies and gentlemen, the host of Offense, Defense, and Discourse, my man from Lance J Radio, my mellow, my man in the plan, my mellow, my ace in the place, my man live from, I guess his car, Mike Jones. Oh, uh, what's going on? I'm definitely you, in the car this morning. You know, my day starts at 6 a.m. I asked you on Wednesday, was Toronto in trouble? You said yes. Now, let me ask you this. You saw the game. 
was that affirmation of how much trouble Toronto was in? Actually, at this point, Toronto's in a lot more trouble than I thought they were. I, after game one, if you recall, I referenced the fact that young teams need game one to get used to the level of play to adjust because they're not specifically used to the level of play that they are seeing every time they enter a new round, a tougher team, a tougher level of competition. And the Sixers, true to four, were not truly ready for what they saw in game one. Mm -hmm. Game two, Brett Brown, who has been often maligned for his inability to adjust, made possibly what have been the best coaching adjustment of this postseason so far. A couple defensive switches. We've actually also seen him make some rather critical switches in the first round as well. Brett Brown has been proving his mettle this playoff season. And the combination of talent of Simmons and B plus the guys they brought in through the throughout the year, Butler, Ennis, um, Tobias Harris, all these guys, well, they had limited time in the regular season. The talent seems to line up, fit together very well, which is credit to the front office, the scouting staff, the GM, Elton Brand. And these guys are really just coming together much, much faster than many would have expected. At the start of the series, you remember we were talking about it, and this was one of those Toronto should win, or they're, they're the better team as far as we know, mm-hmm. but we really don't know. That was always the caveat, but we really don't know because the players missing time, things down players resting down the stretch towards the end of the season, you really only saw these guys together for 10 games. Mm-hmm. They were figuring figuring each other out. But under the leadership of one Mr. Jimmy, not Jane, Bucky, this team, they seem to be following his lead right now. And He's the one guy who has the playoff experience and always brings the intensity, and they are following his lead right now, and it's beautiful to watch. It is beautiful to watch. I'm still waiting for him to be that terrible teammate who will uh, wreck the team from the inside that everyone predicted Jimmy Butler was going to do because, you know, apparently that's what he did after – in, um, you know, in Chicago and in Minnesota. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for that Jimmy to show up. Uh, implosion you know, Jimmy. I'm, I'm glad you said that because it was, I guess, two weeks ago now, we wanted to talk about Jimmy Butler and we never actually got around to it uh-huh. around Easter time. Jimmy Butler is the guy who pulled the Easter egg hunt for the Sixers staff with gifts like flat screen TVs and cash, Apple Watches. That doesn't seem like a guy who's unhappy with the organization. 
brother is simply that he wants to win. And if he feels like his teammates lack the intensity, lack the effort of maturity, he will be a problem. But that's because he wants to win. Now, if you take, put him on a team where guys are just dedicated to improving their coding, their craft, as he is, and dedicated to winning, I don't think he'll be a problem at all. I think he seems quite happy with the way things are going in Philadelphia. I think what's interesting about this is because is two things. One, I feel like it's some you know, we had we you and I debated in the past. We talked about how you know, when is the best time or if there is a a time to I guess christen or crown a team a certain player's team. You know, I you know, you and I we we debated whether or not it was time to say this is Embiid and Simmons' team. And we're you know, and you know, we disagreed on that, but you know, not necessarily to to rehash that particular argument. But I feel like what you're seeing here in the type of player and in the, in the type of player and teammate that Jimmy Butler has been has just been the difference between between what the Sixers have now, the nucleus the Sixers have now, and what was in Minnesota. When you look at how people have criticized Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, just, you know, people who question their leadership, question their uh, competitiveness, their heart. You know, I feel like you don't get that in Philly. I feel like players have tried. Like, okay. I think people have tried to question the heart of of Embiid and Simmons, probably more Simmons than Embiid. But when they do, Ben and Ben and Joe, Ben and Joe, they and, yeah, they respond. Like you can you can try a Ben Simmons, and honestly, and it seems like people seem to want to try. However. That doesn't it. It doesn't bode well. Probably one of the te- uh, the telling tales of that was you remember last year when during a game uh, Simmons and Kyle Lowry both got ejected. Yeah, and I think Ben said something that basically suggested that if he wanted that if Kyle wanted to continue this conversation, it could be continued in the hallway. Yeah, there was no backing down. In this. Yeah. Now. Right before it was earlier this season, before a game, Kyle Lowry mentions this. He says, and, and he basically says, "You know what? I respect Ben Simmons. I know we had our problems last season. I know we got into it last season, but I respect him." And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about when you're talking about a player and his heart. When you're, I mean, exactly. go ahead. Like, if, if you look at Wiggins, let's start with Wiggins. He was highly touted as a probable number one pick most of his 
and then it ends up actually being the number one pick. He was supposed to be the second coming of Mitchell. Yes. But what Kid seems to lack is that true desire to make his game better. He mm. seems to just be enjoying the NBA lifestyle. And then moving on to Carl Anthony Towns, he, let's be honest, he did not exist last year in the playoffs. No. And then to further that, to further Jimmy Butler's point of they needed him to win, and somehow someone seemed to disagree, they weren't in the playoffs this year. You know, Wiggins was upset last season because he wanted to be more of the focal point offensively. He had that chance this year. How's that work for him? Didn't. It didn't. And I feel like I feel like one of the re I think one of the reasons the Sixers as an organization I, I believe there's a reason why fans like Jimmy and there's a reason why the Sixers like Jimmy. I think the Sixers like Jimmy because he's loud and he's demonstrative. And I think sometimes people mistake that for being belligerent. People mistake that for being a malcontent. And it's like, no, sometimes you need somebody within your organization to who has some intensity, who has some intensity and is not willing to and will not back down. Exactly. Who will need not back need guys like that. Because I feel like, you know, it's like uh, I, I, Joel can be that guy. Joel can be that guy, but still Joel's a young player. Joel's still a player in his, what, his fourth season? His fourth yeah. his fourth professional season? Ben and Simmons also, is in his second professional season. So it's like at, at some point, you know, they're still learning. They're still learning, and there are times when they're going to, when they're going to need to fall back on coaching and fall back on instructions to, in order to get better. In order to learn, at some point, you know, you need people who've been out there, who've been in these battles, who can tell, you know, who can, who can teach you. You see this every day at every job. You know, your manager can only do but so much. Sometimes you need somebody on the floor, on, you know, in the grind with you, in the trenches with you, who can tell you what you can do, who tell you what you need to do because they've been there before. That's Jimmy Butler. That's what Jimmy Butler brings to this team. Now, I said I wanted to make two points. I feel like, one, Jimmy Butler right now is proving his worth. He's proving his medal. He's proving why Elton Brand was willing to give up a piece like Dario Sarge, who a lot of people going into the season thought was going to be a major cog in this team. You gave up you know, a person that you thought was going to be a cog for the future and Dario Sarge and a key role player like Robert Covington to get Jimmy Butler. I think Jimmy is proving it now. He's proving it now. But my second point is to to your point. When you see what Jimmy Butler is doing, one the type of teammate he's been on the court, and you see what he's doing off the court, like the Easter egg hunts. You know, the the interviews. And I'm loving the, the two player uh post game interviews. Because they're funny, they're enter- you know they're they're you know they're 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 entertaining. But you yeah, guys absolutely seem to be enjoying being around each other. Mm-hmm. You're getting you're getting better it's always answers. Always indicators to yep. success. But here's the thing: 
I feel like there's a narrative going out there that says, you know what, if you're going to pay Jimmy Butler next season, you have to pay him max money. And to your mm-hmm. point, to your point, I'm seeing what Jimmy Butler is doing. And at Jimmy Butler's age, with the situation that he has, he has a team that could be good for a very long time. This might present the best opportunity for Jimmy Butler to win and to win now and to win for a long time. And that being said, I'm not convinced that Jimmy Butler needs or will even want max money. I think if you're fair to Jimmy Butler, if you make a fair offer to Jimmy Butler, you don't try to undercut him. You don't try to be a cheapskate. You know, don't don't insult his intelligence. Pay him his worth. But I don't believe that it has to be a max contract. Do you agree? No, but I don't agree. But there's a reason for that. I believe 15 years ago, he would not have been a max player. However, in today's NBA, it seems that everyone is either a max player or a mid-level exception guy. There are very few who belong to, I guess, what we'd have to call the NBA middle class. That is a disappearing group. Because it seems like in today's market, Every player and every player's agent are trying to do everything they can to get that max deal. And if they can't, they will just find a one-year prove-it type deal to get a ring and then look for that max deal the next year. Mm -hmm. Very few players that in today's NBA don't see themselves as max-level guys. So... For that reason and that reason alone, I think Jimmy Butler is going to want the max, and I think it'll take a max offer to get it done. I'm not sure if it'll take the full five years, but it will take max money. So that being said, do you feel, should the Sixers give him max money? I, As of right now, I don't believe that they need a max contract to keep Jimmy. In an ideal Jimmy. world, no. In an ideal world, no, they would not. However, in today's NBA, I think it will take a max contract. Going into an offseason where there are teams with money available, you have a guy who is proving his worth game in and game out on both ends of the floor. His leadership, the moments aren't too big for him. Someone's going to make him a max offer this offseason. No, that, that I understand. That I, that I understand. And I, I am not disputing that with you. And if it doesn't happen the way I laid it out, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be disappointed, but I wouldn't be surprised. Because everything you just said is correct. You know, just given the, given the lay of the land, given the way NBA contracts are, mm-hmm. you know, there's abs- you know, somebody's going to offer Jimmy Butler max money. Exactly. But I feel if a contract was purely based on basketball ability, I'd say he'd probably be somewhere in the top twenty five percent of league salaries probably, but not necessarily met. But like I said, with the economy and the NBA and teams having money going into this offseason, I do believe it will take a max contract. I agree. 
All right. I mean, uh, well, I am holding. I am holding out hope that it won't be that way, and this is why. I just feel like Jimmy is cut from a different cloth. So if there was a player to buck the trend, it would be Jimmy Butler. Now, granted, we're talking money here. You know, we're talking money. We're talking getting paid. We're talking livelihood. We're talking all of that. And money talks. So I'm just going, you know, basically, I'm I'm putting aside, like, this is, for me, maybe this is just another extension of objectivity versus fan-ish because the ob- the objective way to seeing it, the objective answer would be to say, hey, man, you know what? Jimmy's going to get paid. Jimmy's going to look to get paid. Somebody's going to pay Jimmy, and hopefully it's the Sixers. However, I you know, there's a part of me that just says, hey, man, Jimmy's got a good situation here. He's loved in this city. He's in a good organization. He's in a good organization dedicated to winning. He's got two young players, to, you know, who will be the future of this franchise, who will be here for a long time. You know, maybe he, he needs to just stay. And if they make him an offer that's fair, they make him an offer that will keep him rich, but not necessarily make him the richest he can be, he'll stay. But, you know. Now, he, to your point, in fact, and to your point, in terms of basketball, I don't see a better situation for Jimmy Butler. And I will say this as well. Ben Simmons' contract is coming up soon as well. And having already paid Joel Embiid, the Sixers' window to add salary is running out. So the one thing that paying Jimmy Butler will do if you do decide to give him a max contract it will allow you. It will actually allow you to have some flexibility, where you might have might not have cap room to sign a player in the future. You can take Jimmy Butler's contract three, four years from now and trade him. Maybe package it with some picks or something, and that will allow you to bring in salary in the future because you can do a salary match where you you can't necessarily just bring in salary to take you over the cap. So there are some ways that you can finagle the situation so it's not a you know a death nail so to speak if you do end up giving him the max of five years you're not in a situation where you're just completely stuck mm-hmm. so I don't necessarily see giving Jimmy Butler a max contract as being a bad thing at all he at absolutely adds to your team and I don't see a way to upgrade that position by letting him go either. You're not going to get better at that position if you don't resign Jimmy Butler. So, I, I say all this because we've all heard the debates, we've all heard the back and forth. You know, it's it's been all season because, you know, we've talked about this since the Sixers made this move. Made made these moves, I should say. Because Jimmy is up at the end of the season and we all know Tobias is up at the end of the season. And the question has been, what do they you know, what do they do moving forward? I feel like now we're starting to see. We're starting to see in this playoff series. You know, 
I shouldn't even say in this playoff series because we're seeing it this year in the playoffs. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing this lineup finally start to gel because unfortunately there's been so much change within this team within this season. They blew up their starting lineup to get Jimmy Butler. Then they blew up their bench to get Tobias Harris. At the start of the season, uh, at the set, uh, at the start of the ser- season, they lost their assistant coach to Atlanta. They lost Pierce to Atlanta. During the season, they lost an- another assistant coach. They lost Lang to St. Joe's. Now they're about to lose Monty Williams to the Suns. Although I believe they're going to let Monty Williams coach out the rest of the season. Okay. I'm, I'm not yeah, sure how that. The yeah, I, I don't know how that works, but hey, okay. I'll take it. Yeah, he he's not going to leave the team until after this postseason yeah. run. I, I he didn't even actually travel to Phoenix for the interview. The Suns traveled to Toronto to meet him so that he wouldn't have to leave the team. Okay, I, I don't I don't get how that works, but I'll take it. It just you know, I'll take it because I just feel like it's just par for the course. It would it just, it, it would not have surprised me. It would not have surprised me if like. They, once again, in the middle of the season, they're forced to, you know, make, you know, make you know, organizational change because that's what this season has all has been about. But nonetheless, you are starting to now see Toronto best team in was the best team in the East. Oh, excuse me, second best team in the East. Mm-hmm. Second best team in the East, been rolling. Kawhi Leonard never lost, has never lost in his career to the Sixers. Now, granted. Most of those years, he was playing the process Sixers, who were garbage. And he was also with the Spurs. And he was with the yeah. well-established system and a good level of familiarity with the coach. So, but none, I guess nonetheless, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about a surface stat because that's what that is. But nonetheless, it's mm-hmm. a stat. A stat is a stat. It's a surface stat in the sense that, yeah, you know what? Kawhi never, you know, Kawhi has never lost to the Sixers before Thursday. But, you know, when you look past it, you, you there's context to it. There's perspective to it. But nonetheless Before Monday. Yeah, before uh yeah, before Monday, I'm sorry. But nonetheless, we're sitting here. Sixers are now Sixers are now leading this series two to one. Sixers are leading this series two to one. And as much as we sit here and we've talked about and we have complimented and we've given credit to their improved play from game one to game two and game three. As much as we've given credit to Brett Brown and his coaching adjustments from game one to game two and game three. Game four, in my opinion, is probably the most pivotal and the most must win of this series so far. I'm sure there are people who will disagree with me, but let me lay, let me lay it out to you why I believe that Sunday is the most must win game. I am fear I feel like the Sixers have a opportunity to put their foot on the neck of Toronto and crush them. You do not want to give a I'm sorry, go ahead. I'll say I'm agreeing with you hundred percent. If the Sixers come out Sunday and win, that's not just the end of Toronto's season. 
I think that's the end of Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. I think it's the end of Kyle Lowry in Toronto. Toronto will be at a point where they are left looking for answers and real and have to start over. Because if they, it's one thing to spend years trying to get past LeBron, who's getting older, it's another thing to try to spend years with an older team trying to get past a young and up, uh, improving Sixers team, mm-hmm. a young and improving Boston team, and a young and improving Milwaukee team. Toronto's the veteran team of this group, and if this team can't get it done with Kawhi being a free agent, it's time. I think it's the end of. I think it's the end of what Toronto in their court current form. And, and for me, I feel like this is what this is. This is the telltale sign of this series. This this is a pivotal point in this series because we've talked about young teams coming out flat. And I think mm-hmm. as dangerous and, and, and as dangerous as it is to come out flat, and we've now seen the Sixers come out flat in game one of two straight series. I think also what is dangerous is getting a little bit overconfident. And I am not implying that the Sixers are overconfident right now. Because only time will tell. Thursday's game was a feel-good game. They felt good. All their shots were going in. They, you know, they were they were demonstrative. They were celebratory. They were looking good. It was all smiles. It was all good. I was I was at the arena on Thursday. Now, I, I have to admit, there, there there's a form there's a formula. We all know, and, and, and I'll tell you a real quick story. We all know, you know, how loud that arena can be. I was working at NBC Sports Philadelphia. I was in I was on I was in the studio crew for the pre and post game show. A mistake people make on game night when you work at when you work in the arena is forgetting your dinner. <laughs> now you have to pay arena yes. prices. Yes, now you have to pay because let me tell you something. All right? People think that working in the, working in the arena, not necessarily working for the Sixers, not necessarily, you know, not not working for the Sixers. I'm sure working for the Sixers might be really cool on game night, but working in the arena in game night, it, it can be very, very much overrated. All I am, I don't get good seats. I don't get seats at all. In fact, you're not even you're not even supposed to be in the bowl. The bowl is the arena. You're not supposed to be in the bowl during the game. If they catch you, you could lose your job. It was easier to do when the, when the Sixers sucked. You could sneak in there, sit and watch some games. But what are you watching? You're watching Tony Roten and, uh, and Ish Smith. But nonetheless. Don't forget Isaiah Cannon. And Isaiah Cannon and Christian Wood and, and, and guys like that. Hollis Thompson. That's what you were watching. But nonetheless. I say I say this that I'm in the bowl, you know I, I'm I'm not in the bowl. Excuse me, but I forgot my dinner. So you have mm-hmm. to be calculated in when you can go because what you don't want to do you don't want to add insult to injury. It's like you're already at work and you're about to pay thirty dollars for a slice of pizza and a soda, but you're going out there and you have you know when you got to go in. So when. I go into the, I go into the concourse at eight minutes in the at the eight minute mark in the first quarter. 
because you know everybody's going to be inside watching the game. So you know the line. That's mm-hmm. when the line is going to be. That's when the line is going to be the, the shortest. shortest. So that's what I did. Now I timed it out just well. When got me a slice of pizza in the soda. There was nobody in line. I was able to. I, I was literally able to go. Uh, Toronto called a timeout. Got out in the bowl. Got my slice of pizza. Got my soda. Back inside. Only missed maybe a, a, a you know a moment or two of the minutes. game. A couple couple minutes. But however. I don't. I'm not exactly sure what I missed. I think it might have been a uh, might have been a breakaway dunk or something, but that bowl exploded. I mean, it, it was wasn't so. Alley oop to Jimmy Butler, was it? It might. It might have been. That's that might have been what I missed. But that you could hear. I'm in the concourse, and I felt like I was on the floor. That's how loud it was. That's how electric it was. It was crazy. I mean, it's just that the, the arena was rocking. The arena was rocking. But I say all this because it's like, you know, that's how electric it was. And for me, I am afraid of a letdown in game six. Oh, excuse me, game four. I am afraid of a letdown. That's that scares me. I'm not predicting one. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not, but that's what scares me because I feel like what you do not want to do, what this Sixers team does not need to do at all, is do anything that can give Toronto life. I do not want to go back to Toronto for Game Five with this series tied at two. I think. What you're going to see, you are going to see, I mean, Toronto was the two, number two team in the East for a reason. We talk about fraud. You and I talk about fraud teams all the time in all types of sports. We have gone back and forth talking about fraud teams, especially in the NFL. But we, we've talked about fraud teams before. I don't believe that Toronto is a fraud team. They might not be the best team in the NBA, but they're not frauds. You are going to get the you are going to get Toronto playing with a purpose. You are going to get a desperate Toronto team. You are going to get the, I think on Sunday, you are going to get the best Toronto has. Because they don't want to come back to Toronto down 3-1. I feel like if they lose on Sunday, you're giving Toronto life. I want I want the Sixers to be able to close this series out at home in game six. That's what needs to happen. By game worst case scenario, they win this game. They win this series by game six. I, they've won their game in Toronto. I don't want the Sixers to have to be in a situation where they have to win two games out of this series in Toronto, with one of those games being a game seven. I feel like this is going to be the test. To me, this is Sunday is must win because they need to put their foot on Toronto's neck and tighten it. I don't want to see 